0: If you would now take a copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1. Uh, This is the passage that was scheduled for next week um, and that I was to preach next week, but Dave is out under the weather this Sunday evening. And so the passage that is there in the bulletin, he will, Lord willing, uh, take up next week And so we will go ahead and it's all going to work out. We're going to finish the life of Elijah here in the uh, next couple weeks here. And so we begin uh, this evening in 2 Kings, and we'll read the entire uh, chapter here in a moment. Uh, We're coming to the conclusion of Elijah's ministry. and the episode that we're going to look at tonight, uh, this is Elijah one more time, doing what Elijah does. He's confronting the wickedness of the rulers of God's people. He's delivering his life message one last time, as one person has put it. And his life message in his day and time was this. Quite simply, he declares that there is only one Lord, and it is not Baal. That's basically Elijah's preaching ministry and life message that he had. Um, There's only one Lord and it is not Baal. So why is everyone being seduced and enticed by Baal worship? Well, it began with the leaders of Israel. So here again, it's Elijah's ministry confronting the wicked rulers. This time it's not Ahab. Um, We'll go back and and see part of Ahab's conclusion next week, but our passage opens up and says Ahab's dead. This is his son now who's being confronted by Elijah. Osgenis has put it this way, the first duty of believers is to say yes to God, and the second is to say no to idols. And that could be a good summary of what the word of the Lord through Elijah was brought to God's people. The first duty of believers is to say yes to God, And the second is to say no to idols. Well, hopefully you turn to 2 Kings chapter 1. And before we read it, let me pray for us once again and ask for the Lord's help. Please join me in prayer. Our great and awesome God, this is um, a passage in which your power is on display. We see your faithfulness to your word and to your servant. We see your severity to those who have turned their backs against you. And so for those who are walking with you, may it be a good warning and encouragement in our devotion to you. And for those who do not know you, may it be a warning calling them to their senses. And may you grant them repentance that they may trust in your son, Jesus. So we ask that by your Spirit working in us, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful truths in your Word tonight, in order that we might grow in grace and glorify your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the Word of God from 2 Kings chapter 1. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him the captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, O oh, man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I'm a man of God, Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And again the king sent to him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of the third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of the fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jerhom, became king in his place in the second year of Jerome, the son of Joshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Recently, I was sitting in the barbershop and um, as barbershop talk goes, different things came up, and they were telling a particular story about a young man in his mid-20s who had a wife and kids who had lost his wife and kids um, because he was now in prison, and she had left him, and uh, he was in prison because uh, he was selling drugs, and he was caught selling drugs because every time he went to do this illegal activity, he went to the same spot over and over again, and it made it really easy for the police to find him, to arrest him, to prosecute him, and to imprison him. And after hearing the story, the, the barber cutting my hair gave a wonderful barbershop proverb, and I quote, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. a good barbershop proverb. Now, kids, you can't go around saying the word stupid and calling people stupid. But it's appropriate here because in Ahaziah, we see a man who did something stupid. And what is stupid means? It just wasn't very smart. It wasn't smart. He should have learned from the example of his dad. His dad wasn't a good king. His dad served Baal and the idols. And his dad suffered a terrible fate. And here we see Ahaziah doing the same thing. It's about 852 BC at this point. We're not told much about Ahaziah, but you can go and you can see there uh, the brief obituary for Ahaziah at the end of 1 Kings 22:51 51 through 53. There it says, he just walked in the ways of his father father and mother, and he served the Baals, and in doing so, he provoked the Lord. He didn't learn the lessons from his dad. In fact, he seems to be more entrenched in the idolatry that led to his father's downfall. Ralph Davis sums it up this way. There's something haunting then about the record of Ahaziah's brief tenure. It was only about two years. In the supreme need of his life, he did not seek the real God. That's all we know about him. That's both sad and stupid, end quote. It is a troubling passage, but the trouble is that oftentimes we are upset by the wrong part of the passage. Many people, when they read this passage, they are upset that Elijah called down fire and it consumed 102 of his fellow Israelites. But that isn't the part that we should be troubled by. No, you should be alarmed by how sin has made Ahaziah stubborn, hard-headed, hard-hearted, and unable to receive the Word of God that would lead him to repentance and for his salvation. Now, many people, they they wrestle with, they try to question the morality of Elijah's actions in this passage, but we will show that Elijah was completely righteous in what he did. We will see that. No, we shouldn't question the morality of Elijah here in 2 Kings chapter 1. Instead, we should be troubled by and warned by the consequences of unchecked idolatry. The consequences of unchecked idolatry. So we'll consider this passage in four headings. The first in verses 1 through 8, I want us to see the Lord will not tolerate rivals. Then in verses 9 through 12, I want us to see that the Lord will not allow His word to be silenced. And then in verses 13 through 16, the Lord will show mercy to those who fear Him. And then we close looking at verses 17 through 18. The Lord will keep his word. The Lord will not tolerate rivals. That stands out in the first eight verses of this chapter. We see a God who is jealous. Now, jealousy can be a good thing. Envy is a bad thing. Jealousy, as one person has put it, is love on fire. Here's a God who wants the devotion and the the worship of his people. But here, the king of Israel, Ahaziah, he is one who is not concerned about worshiping the one true God. And his reign begins pretty bad. There in verse 1, it says that Moab rebelled against Israel. Well, that was one of the signs that God was lifting his favor off of one of his kings, is that when their subordinates would rebel against them. It was a sign that his favor was being removed. And that's how Ahaziah's reign begins. But then we see that he has this strange, and you could almost say we're intended to read it as a silly accident, that he fell through the lattice in his upper chamber. And we're not sure exactly what that is, but it, it's some, something either there was to allow airflow in, to this chamber in his palace in Samaria, or he just fell out the window. It could be that he was in a drunken stupor. It could be that he was careless. It kind of fits the brief profile we're giving of him. And here he's in this moment of of crisis. Moab is rebelling against him. He has had some sort of injury, and it would appear that through this injury, he has some sort of infection that is making him very ill. And in this crisis, we find out who he places trust in. And it's a simple observation, but it's a good reminder that in times of crisis, we find out who we really trust in, what we are placing our trust in. And it wasn't the Lord. It was Baal. And so he sends messengers to Ekron, which was a city in Philistia, and this was an enemy town of Israel. It was about 45 miles away. So we're given this picture that here he is, he's seeking a word from a deity, and he sends messengers, and they are intended to pass by Elijah and keep traveling 45 miles away in order to get a word for the ailing Ahaziah from Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub, it's there's no record of a God being worshipped called Beelzebub uh, outside of the scriptures. Um, Many Old Testament scholars, they believe that what the the writer of Kings is doing here is is very subversive. He's mocking Baal when he does this. There is the account of Beelzebul, which means Baal exalted, but Beelzebub means the Lord of the flies. But that's not necessarily what's Truly important about this passage, what's important is that that first part, Baal. He sends to Baal. He's seeking a word from Baal. And think about this situation. As he sends the messengers, God sends his angel and gives his word to Elijah, and Elijah cuts them off. So without any warning from any earthly source, supernaturally, Elijah knows what's happening from the Lord and then has a word for Ahaziah. He says, It is because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. In his crisis, Ahaziah is seeking a God who knows the future. And the God who is omniscient, who knows all things, who knows the beginning from the end, who knows yesterday, today, and tomorrow sends a word to him through the prophet Elijah, and Elijah cuts off his messengers, and the messengers then say, okay, we got our word from, the de- from a deity, and they bring it back to Ahaziah. Ahaziah has the opportunity to repent and say, I was wrong. The God of Israel is the one true God, the all-knowing God. He knows my tomorrow, but he doesn't. Instead, he gets upset he asked the messengers, who was this man? And having heard the description of him, he remembers being there as Elijah spoke to his father. He remembers Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, where there's the confrontation between him and the prophets of Baal. And when Elijah demonstrates who the one true God is, he remembers all of these things, and yet he chooses his idol. He's entrenched in his idolatry. Here the omniscient God intervenes and he rejects him. We see something important about God. That he's not okay with this status quo between him and the king of Israel. No, the God we see here in the first chapter of 2 Kings is an intolerant God. He will not tolerate false gods. He is unique, the one true God. And he demands that all decide if they will follow him or not. It's the first commandment, Exodus 20, 30. You shall have no other gods before me. And here, in this accusation against Ahaziah, we see the essence of idolatry. The Lord tells him, by you seeking out a word from Beelzebub, about your future, you are confessing that there is no God in Israel, or at least He's not adequate in your time of crisis. You are confessing that He is incapable of helping. You are looking to something or someone else, and so God intervenes. God doesn't want His people to have resting dormant idols in their heart competing for His devotion In their lives. You may say, well, this seems this God who is intolerant of of other gods. This seems like the Old Testament God. This seems like a harsh reality. It is severe and harsh, but it is the God whom we meet in Christ Jesus as well. Remember when Jesus encounters the one that they call the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. 17 through 22, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus in verse 19 says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And listen, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The man was able to say that I've kept the second table of the law. I've done these things. I haven't committed adultery, I haven't stolen, bear false witness, I haven't murdered, I've honored my father and mother. But this man with Jesus exposed to him is that you haven't kept the first commandments. He loved his possessions. He loved them more than he loved God. And Jesus in doing this, what does Mark tell us? He loved him. He confronted the idols in his life because he loved him and cared for him. As a young man I was obsessed with basketball. I still enjoy sports. I enjoy watching other people play them more than I do actually playing them anymore. And I know that when you look at me, you immediately think, yeah, he was a basketball player. Um, but real basketball, not video games. And it was, uh, it was something that consumed my, my, my thoughts, my imaginations. So the walls in my bedroom were covered with basketball posters. And when I was 16 years old, the Lord confronted uh, this in my life and basically, it hurt. Now, it just, it hurt. This is what I intended to do. I was, at that point, I realized I probably wasn't gonna play professional basketball, um, but I was gonna coach. I was going to sports journalism or something and the Lord, when I was 16 years old, said, no, That's not what I have for you, in fact, but this is something that is more precious to you than I am. It hurt, but it was the Savior's kindness to me, his love to me. He showed me, you're you're not keeping the first commandment, but I love you too much to leave you in that state. Ahaziah doesn't recognize the kindness of God's intervention and confrontation to him. He remains hard-hearted towards him. Which brings us to the second part in verses 9 through 12. We see that the Lord will not allow his word to be silenced. The Lord will not allow his word to be silenced. We see a God who is jealous in the first part. And here we see a God who also judges those who are not worshiping the one true God. Now this is the part where particularly people, they they stumble over this section of the story. When Elijah calls down fire, is. Is he just being a cranky prophet? Some question whether or not this really happened altogether. Well, it happened. And he's not just being a cranky prophet. It wasn't just that someone switched his, his regular caffeine to decaf that morning and he was in need of his caffeine fix or something else. It wasn't that he was he was caught in traffic on his way into the office and therefore he encounters these guys and he's he's mean-spirited to them. No, it was it was it was just, it was righteous. Now, what really trips people up is that there was a time in the ministry of Jesus and the disciples in which the disciples wanted to do this. James and John, they wanted to call down fire. It's in Luke 9, 52 through 56. And so, and Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Now, some have said, well, see, Jesus rebuked James and John when they tried to call down fire on the Samaritan village, so Elijah is clearly wrong here to do so. Well, they're miss reading, misapplying what's happening in Luke 9. What's happening in Luke 9 is that Jesus is correcting James and John because they desire vindication, and they're not seeking the honor of God. Some manuscripts there in Luke 9 say that Jesus told them, you don't know what manner of spirit you're you're acting of. I came to save and not to judge. Jesus was saying in this moment, it's not time to call down fire, but it's not excluding that Elijah was proper And calling down fire. And there's two reasons to to show that Elijah was righteous in this. Well, the first thing to understand is that from Ahaziah's perspective, he's not merely thinking that Elijah would come and have a meeting with him. So he's sending out this this entourage to welcome him into the palace so that they can discuss and have a a little Bible study about the word of the Lord that Elijah has for him. No, it's not the case. He's sending 50 armed men with a captain of 50. His intentions are clear. He's coming to snuff out Elijah. And it's because Elijah has spoken the word of the Lord to him. And so when the captain comes to him, he says, O man of God, the king says, come down. The captain is not being respectful of Elijah. He's, he's mocking Elijah when he says, O man of God come down. This is open hostility. And then the second captain, after the first captain and 50 are consumed by fire, what does the second one say? Well, the command becomes stronger. Oh, man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. Come down quickly. This is Ahaziah declaring war against the Lord. It's open hostility to God. That's the first reason that we have to understand what Elijah is doing here. When he calls down fire from heaven, that he is just to do so. That this instant judgment is warranted. This is the same Ahaziah who recognized just by a description of his parents who Elijah was. Many of these men would have been the same ones who would have seen the time in which fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice on the altar on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. And yet they still rebel against God. And yet they still side with the Baals. And so this instant judgment is warranted. Each man here who's consumed by fire gets what they deserve. They see it in this life. Here it is a terrible miracle. But in the miracles of Scripture, some are miracles of grace. And some are miracles of judgment. I mean, think of the, the crossing of the Red Sea. For Moses and the people of Israel, it's a miracle of judgment that immediately turns into a, a miracle of grace that immediately turns into a miracle of judgment for Pharaoh and his army. And there are many more. Miracles of grace point to the restoring nature of what God is doing in ushering the new creation. But then there are other miracles in Scripture that point to the judgment that is to come. And here God has illustrated this is what awaits the idolater. This is what those who side with the Baals will receive. But it's not just that these men deserve the judgment of God. It's that it wasn't Elijah who lit them on fire. It was the Lord's doing. Elijah prays to heaven and it's the Lord who answers his prayer. And there explicitly in the text, verse 12, but if Elijah answered them, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Here it is. The wrath of God poured out in a moment on deserving sinners. And God will not allow His word to be silenced. They sought to snuff out the word of the Lord and the Lord answers with fire. And it's an encouragement to the believer that those who sought to persecute the prophet were unsuccessful in doing so. And that It was the Lord's will to preserve his witness through Elijah for a longer period. In this moment, God's word is preserved and so is the prophet. His persecution faces the church. And his persecution will continue to face us as believers in this world. We are not promised that every time the enemies of the Lord come against us, that they'll be consumed with fire. But what we can be certain of is that the Lord's word will prevail. That the gospel message will go forth. And at times, if necessary, that means the preserving of my life and your life in order that the Great Commission can go forward in this world, the Lord is ready and able to do that, and he can do so through supernatural means if necessary. But other times, if, if my voice is snuffed out and your voice is taken out, we can be confident that the word of the Lord will still echo and go forth and accomplish his purposes. And that his word to us is true, and that we can be confident. And so whether in the face of persecution we are asked to lay down our lives or our lives are preserved, we've been certain that God's purposes and his word will accomplish what he sets it out to do. But then we see a glimpse of mercy here. In verses 13 through 16, we see the Lord will show mercy to those who fear him. Think of the contrast between this third captain and Ahaziah. Ahaziah should have looked at his father's life and should have, having heard the word of the Lord, come to him and said, I'm going to die. This sickness will lead to death. I will not get up from this bed. The Lord is calling me to account for my idolatry. He should have sought repentance and sought the mercy of God, but he didn't. He did not do so. But this man, having saw the first two captains, Consume with fire and there 50 with them. He seeks mercy. There's something that is true that it was a conditional statement by the prophet that when he brought this word from God to Ahaziah, Ahaziah should have said, Could there be mercy? What if I repent? It's a similar language that we see later in 2 Kings when Hezekiah is told that he will die. He is told in such a way that it is going to happen and Ahaziah cries out for mercy and the Lord grants him 15 more years. Did God change his mind? No, he did not. It means that the word of the Lord as it came to Hezekiah was conditioned upon his crying out to him in faith. Much like when Jonah goes and preaches in Nineveh, He says, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, in there is implicit, unless you repent and seek mercy. I believe the same was true for Ahaziah in this passage. And then we see the contrast to him in verses 13 through 16, where this man comes and instead of mocking Elijah, when he comes to him, he bows before him. There's a total different posture. There on his knees, He is saying, I'm submitting to the word of the Lord. He says, oh man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants be precious in your sight. Behold, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. And Elijah waits and then the Lord grants this man mercy. In verse 15, then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid. That confirms that these men intended harm to Elijah. That the angel of the Lord says, Elijah, you can go with this one. Do not be afraid. This one's life is spared. And it's important to note that he comes through fear. And it is okay for someone to come to the Lord through fear. In fact, probably more people should come to the Lord through fear. Recognizing that they have sinned against the holy God and recognizing that they deserve immediate judgment and but for His patience with them, they have another breath. In Jude 1, 23, it says, to others, show mercy with fear. And here, this man has shown mercy, becomes he comes trembling and in terror before the Almighty God. We know that the price of mercy, though it's not outlined in this passage, is a great price. That though they, this man and his 50 are spared, they had other sins. How does the Lord account for those? Well, He will in His Son and Sinclair Ferguson, in the way that uh, he does so well, he points out that in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is on the cross, in verses 46 and 47, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And in verse 47, Matthew puts an interesting comment. He says, the, those standing around ask, is he calling on Elijah? And Sinclair Ferguson points out the way that here is Jesus receiving the cost of mercy. That there, the wrath of God, the fire of God is poured out on the son instead of the bystanders. And that's what Jesus has done for all those who would place their trust in him. That the fire from heaven that would consume us each for One sin and every other sin we've ever committed was poured out upon the sinless Son of God. Mercy comes with a cost, but the Lord will show mercy to all who come and submit to Him and fear Him. And finally, lastly, in verses 17 through 18, we see the Lord will keep His word. The Lord will keep His word. Verse 17, So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jerem had become king in his place. Here, the word is fulfilled. Now Ahab apparently had another son who was in line. There was one to take Ahaziah's place, and then there's other sons. And so there is a, a prophecy from Elijah to Ahab that will later be fulfilled in the brother of Ahaziah. But God's word is kept. Here is the legacy of Ahab. That his idolatry was the way in which he formed his son. He discipled Ahaziah and he was trained in the way that he should go according to Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahaziah walked in those ways. It's a reminder to each of us that we are influencing someone's life. God forbid that we are passing on the idols of our heart to others. And so we should do a ruthless inventory of the things that in the midst of crisis that we turn to for help instead of turning to the word of God. But it's also important to note that Ahaziah is held accountable for his sin. So though he was raised in his idolatry God holds him personally accountable. It's no excuse to say, my dad was a terrible dad. He was a total hypocrite. Or to say that you don't know what my mom did to me or you don't know what this person has done to me and therefore I turn to this for help, for comfort. I do this because of this. No, Ahaziah is personally held accountable. God keeps his word to Ahab, God keeps his word to Isaiah. God is a God who fulfills his threats. But we should be reminded that he fulfills his promises as well. It cuts both ways. He keeps his words of warning. He keeps his promises of deliverance and salvation to all those who would come seeking his mercy and leaving behind their false gods. Let us pray and ask for his help. Our great Lord and God, forgive us if we have had any gods before you. Forgive us if we have counted anything more precious than Christ Himself to our hearts. Forgive us in that, in the moments of trouble and crisis, we have turned to something else and denied that you were competent or adequate to meet our needs, to be our deliverer. Oh, no, God. We turn away from all false gods. And we turn to the only true, the triune God, for our salvation, our deliverance. May we walk faithfully with you. May we be those who say no to idols and say yes to you. In Christ's name, amen.